Good morning. It's nice to see everyone out this morning. And I thank John for the invitation to speak here. It's a real privilege to have the chance to be here this morning. Never been over in this part of the Kentucky before in this beautiful country, and I've enjoyed my time here. I, one of the things that's interesting about the position I'm in is I get a chance to visit in a lot of different congregations. And I want to tell you, you guys have a magnificent facility here. This building is beautiful. I walked in the back this morning and I'm like, wow, look at this. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful facility you have here. And I want to just compliment you on that. And if I was in your shoes, it wouldn't hesitate to offer my friend or neighbor an invitation to come worship here. So it was wonderful. I kind of got into the ministry slightly different than the typical ministry path. I majored in chemical engineering at Clemson University. And I thought when that young lady said she was a Kentucky grad and had her beautiful Kentucky blue on, I thought for sure that guy with the orange shirt was going to tell me he was going to Clemson. But I majored in chemical engineering at Clemson. Then I was in the, went into the Navy. I spent 20 years in the submarine force. So I'm a retired submarine officer. And 18 years ago, when I made the transition from submarine officer to preaching minister, I wasn't expecting this, but I'll meet people and they'll find out I'm retired from the Navy and they will usually think that I was a chaplain. I wasn't expecting that to be the reaction I would get from people. So I would tell them, no, I was just a normal submarine officer. I sat down and got to thinking about that one day. And I realized that anybody that would climb into a steel tube, sink it on purpose, and then propel it with an operational nuclear reactor was not normal. So I dropped the normal part, and I just tell them I'm a submarine officer. But I'm glad that I made the transition from the submarine force into the ministry. Picking up in Mark chapter 3, Luke had had, Luke, Jesus had had a very interesting, very interesting day. He'd been accused by his own family of being out of his mind. Then the scribes had accused him of being in league with Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So he taught a parable about a house divided against itself, can't stand. Then his Family made a second run at him and tried to get him one more time, thinking he's out of his mind. So he gathered by the sea and he preached a message to the disciples that I would call a sermon in parables. It's recorded in its fullness in Matthew chapter 13, and most of it's recorded in Mark chapter 4. And what I want you to see, it had been a long and full, tiring day for the Lord that day. And we arrive at our sermon text in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And it says in there... When evening had come, he said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him. What I want to talk to you today is what I would call a journey with Jesus. When you obey the gospel of Christ, 
and are baptized into Him, and you rise to walk in newness of life, you begin a journey with Jesus. You might, journey to, you might begin this journey as a teenager, like I'm sure some have here. Maybe as a middle age, maybe as a senior saint. I baptized a lady once that was 85 years old. But whenever you're baptized into Christ, you begin a journey with Jesus. And this passage we looked at today teaches some valuable lessons about that journey with Jesus. The first thing it teaches is about the promise, the promise of Jesus. Now I doubt very seriously if those disciples that day thought about it in in this way. But when he told them, let us cross over to the other side, that was a promise. That was a promise to them. And where he said they were going, they were going to go. Well, the Christian life is full of promises. He's promised us pardon. He said, if we be baptized into Christ, he'll forgive your sins. He's promised us his presence. And when we're baptized into Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews talks about how we can boldly say, what can man do to me? Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're promised provision. In the context of what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear. Right there in Matthew chapter 6. In that context of the basic necessities of life. The Lord promises, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be provided. That's a promise. He's promised us to preserve us. That no one can snatch you out of His hands. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's a promise. And he's promised us a place. He said, I'll go to prepare a place for you. And he'll come back and get us. And I think about that. I marvel. Maybe it's the scientific engineering mind that I have. But I marvel at the universe. The sun, the moon, the stars. And how it's all put together. And I think the Lord did that in six days. And he's been working on this place we're going for 2,000 years. Wow, it must be nice. Those are promises. And the things that he promises, he will deliver on. So the first thing I see in this passage is the promise of Jesus. The second thing I see is the person of Jesus. I have a lot of peculiarities. If you don't believe that, ask my wife. I've got a lot of things that are kind of peculiar. One of them is I'm allergic to podiums. That's why I'm over here. I think I'd li- I'm an unusual public speaker. Most public speakers, they want to be as far away from the people as they can get and behind some kind of a barricade. Maybe it's the submarine officer in me, but the closer I am to people, the better I do. What was I talking about? Oh, I know. I have a peculiar thing, and one of the things that happens to me is I pick up on these little phrases in the scriptures that are almost throwaway phrases. Did you catch that in that phrase? They took him along in the boat as he was. Now, what in the world is that talking about? I can't help but visualize those guys by the sea that day. And they get ready to get in the boat and cross over the other side. And as he was, he didn't need to go get supplies, he didn't need to go get extra equipment. He didn't have to go get anything to prepare for the journey because as he was, was sufficient for the journey. He let us cross over to the other side. And as he was, was sufficient for the journey. Well, that begs the question, well, who is he? Who is he? 
Well, He's the Creator. He's the one who created all things. All things were created for Him, through Him, and by Him to His glory. Think about that. I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the majesty of God. Just you walk out and you watch the sun run its course day by day and the moon and all those stars out there. And you think about how complex man is being made in God's image. Just think about the creation that's out there. And he just spoke that into existence. That's who it was that got in the boat with him that day. And not only is he the creator, he's the sustainer of all things. All things. He upholds all things by the power of his word, Hebrew says. I marvel, I like to read on scientific things. And all these scientists, they, they can't figure out how the universe holds together. There's these huge expanses out there with nothing in it. How does the universe hold together? And they come up with all these different theories and ideas about how it holds together. I'll tell them how it holds together. The Lord Jesus Christ holds it together. And they wouldn't have to read more than three or four verses in Hebrews to figure that out. That's who's in the boat with you. And when you get in this journey with Jesus, it's the one who created and sustains everything is in the boat. And I look at the Gospel of John. I find out in, Gospel, in John chapter 6, it says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. You graduates don't know me. I just look some, I look like some old guy to you. Well, first of all, I'm not that old. I'll be 60 this year. When I was graduating from high school and college, I thought that was ancient. I've changed my mind. But not only do I not feel young, I have an 11-year-old daughter. So even though I'll be 60 this year, I have an 11-year-old daughter. You heard that right. So I'm right in the middle of this parenting thing. And I want to tell you, graduates, that verse is true. If you'll come to him, you'll never hunger. If you'll believe in him, you'll never thirst. I'm trying to teach my daughter one verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, You are complete in him. And as you pursue kinesiology, I can't say it because I'm from Georgia. If you're pursuing computer science or farming or whatever it is, just remember that. You are complete in him. I turn over to John chapter 8 and I find out that he is the light of the world. If you follow him, you won't walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John chapter 10, I learn that he is the door. Anybody who goes in through him will be saved, go in and out and find pasture. Just a couple of verses later, he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John chapter 11, I find out he's the resurrection and the life. In John 14, I learn he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 15, I find out that he is the true vine and we are the branches. And he who abides in him and him and me will bear fruit. You know what we all want out of life? That's who's in the boat. Who's in the boat with you? As you go on this journey with Jesus, the person that's in the boat is the one who creates everything, sustains all things, and He is that great I Am. So what we need to realize is, we don't need self-help books. We certainly don't need the worldly philosophies of today. 
he, as he was, was sufficient for them to make that journey. And as he is, is sufficient for us. So I learned that about the promise. Let us cross over to the other side. I learned about the person as he was. And then I learned this about the journey with Jesus. The pattern. Now I mentioned it had been a long, hard day for him. I don't know about you, but I've been accused of a lot of things, but I've never had a family member accuse me of being out of my mind. I've certainly never been accused of being in league with the devil. And he had preached a couple of sermons that day. That's tiring. It had been a long, tiring day. I know he was tired because he was in the stern. For my Navy days, I know that's in the back. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. But what do we read in the passage? A great windstorm arose. What's your reaction to that? Does that surprise you? Because that surprises me. It's been a long, hard day. He's tired. Everybody's tired. Wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you th- imagine yourself that day? I can just see it. They climb in there in the boat. They prop their feet up. Can't you just see them talking about, oh, Lord, what a night. Just a gentle breeze. This moon shimmering on the calm sea. And they just sort of ease over nice. Isn't that what you would expect? That's what I would expect. Given the day he had had, I would expect just a nice, peaceful, gentle day. No, a great windstorm arose. And that's the pattern of the journey. Paul says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And when Paul was on the evangelistic trail there in Acts chapter 14, he said, we, through many tribulations, must enter the kingdom of God. Just look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John are arrested and thrown into prison. They haven't even got going yet. Jesus told them they were going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. They haven't even got out of Jerusalem yet. And Peter and John are in prison. And I just turned one more page in my Bible in Acts chapter 5. All the apostles are thrown into prison. This isn't going very well. Stephen preaches a sermon and they stone him to death. I've preached some sermons that offended people, but never they've never stoned me to death. And then a great persecution breaks out by the hand of Saul. In Acts chapter 12, James is beheaded with a sword. In Acts 14, Paul is stoned and left for dead. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in prison. A great windstorm arose. That's the way it is in the Christian life. It's not a smooth, easy journey. It doesn't matter if you're 20, 60, or 100. It's never an easy journey. The Christian life is full of great windstorms. And they wake him up. And they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Think about how that's relevant to us today. It's relevant in our family lives. Husbands, wives, maybe you have family issues with your kids or your grandkids. And there's family issues and things aren't going real well in the home. And you think, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? 
Maybe you're frustrated with the things you see going on in the country. Between the things that are happening in schools, the things that are happening in politics, and all this turmoil we seem to be living through. And you look out there at the land and think, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, one of the things that's been so frustrating as we've gone through the last year, and John was telling me before, earlier this morning, that you guys here at Columbia have stayed real cohesive and real unified and real loving in one another. And I compliment you on that because there's congregations out there. And with all the stuff we've been going through, there's a lot of friction and bitterness. I even know of a congregation that's split over this mass thing. And people are fickle. And people will let you down. And as this fickleness and people letting you down happens in life, you're tempted to think, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then we want the church to grow. We want to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to see our family members and our friends and our co-workers and our fellow students. We want to see them come to Christ. And we're trying to sow the seeds of the gospel. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And we teach, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We're like, we're like them. And I've tried as, as hard as I could to take those words in the boat that night and put them in the mouth of Peter. Because he's the one that had the big mouth and tempted to pop off. I know that feeling. I have a tendency to speak sometimes for my brain energizes. And I've tried my best to get those words in Peter, but I can't put them just in his words. But they all said it, and I can't believe Peter wasn't one of them. Because about 35 years later, Peter will pick up his Holy Spirit-inspired pen, and he'll write, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And I think it's funny. He used the same word cares when he wrote that letter that he uttered in the boat 35 years earlier. See, he had learned the Lord does see, the Lord does know, and the Lord does care. And he just got up that night and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm, which seems very appropriate because it was a great windstorm. We see the promise. Let us cross over to the other side. We see the person that Jesus, as he was, was sufficient for the journey. And we see the pattern that life is full of great windstorms. And then lastly, we see the principle, the principle of faith. The passage teaches three great lessons about faith. The first lesson it teaches about faith is the necessity to trust and obey. To trust and obey. To trust His words and obey them. Well, after all, the wind and the sea did. I, I mean... Just think about that. The waves beat into the boat. It was already filling. An experienced fisherman thought they were going to perish. And he stood up, he talked to the sea, and he talked to the wind, and they had enough confidence and trust in him to do what he said. 
Who speaks to the wind and the sea? Who does that? Well, actually, I tried it once. My wife and I, she outranks me. I'm retired from the Navy. I didn't mention this. My wife's a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. Of course, she ranked me, outranked me when we said I do, but she certainly outranks me now. We were stationed in Hampton, Virginia, and a tropical storm came through. It rained 15 inches in three hours. Just imagine the hardest thunderstorm in the summer you've ever been through, and imagine that going on for three straight hours. And, and while the middle of that monsoon was going on, I finally looked outside and I realized a moat was forming around our house. A whole backyard had about two feet of water and off to the side. And I thought, boy, this is not good. So in that monsoon, I walked out in the front yard and I looked up and I went, stop! Guess what? It did not stop. Because the wind and the sea didn't care what I had to say. But when he got up, And said, peace, be still. All of that chaos and madness without just came to a calm. That word calm just means tranquility. And the only place the New Testament's used is in describing this event. See, the wind and the sea had the faith and confidence and trust to just do what he said. That's the big lesson. In your family issues, if you've got family issues, if you've got storms in your family life, what does Paul say? Husbands, love your wives. I've had people come to me and say, John, we're, we're having trouble at home. I said, try this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That works. Now, you wives... I never talk to the wives. You go home, figure it out yourself. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you got windstorms at home? Do you have the faith to do the duty, to trust and obey? And just husbands, start loving your wives. Children, start obeying your parents. And I'm telling you, that wind and waves will cease. And great calm will come. Are you frustrated with the things you see? You look out over the land and you just, you, I, don't know, I don't know what to do personally. I admit this to you. I've tried not keeping up. But then I feel like I'm not keeping up. And then when I try to keep up, I just get agitated. Anybody else have that problem? But what does Paul say? Be anxious for nothing. But with prayer... And supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have the faith to just trust and do that? And just don't be anxious and just pray. Is the fickleness of people bothering you? Are there people who have let you down? I think one of the most amazing passages in all the scriptures is at the end of 2 Timothy. 
It's the last letter that Paul would write, and he's closing it out. And he says what I think are some of the most bizarre words in all the Scriptures. Because he writes in there, in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. Now stop and think about that. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans where he said hello to all these people. He probably had never met any of them, but possibly out on the evangelistic trail he had met some of them. But he certainly didn't know them well. He writes this letter to the Romans. He says hello to all these people. He had trounced all over the ancient world. He'd been stoned. He'd been beaten with rods. He'd been in shipwrecks. He had been nights in, colds, nights in the cold and days and just all kinds of turmoil he went through. He'd gone all over the ancient world. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in his life that did more for the kingdom of God than the Apostle Paul. And he shows up to give his defense. And nobody showed up. At my first defense... No one stood with me. All forsook me. And he writes this. May it not be charged against them. And he moves on. Just let it go. I know people are fickle. I know people will let you down. Just let it go. May it not be charged against them. And then he says, but the Lord stood with me. And he's promised to never leave us and never forsake us. So you've got people in your orbit that are letting you down and that's a storm in your life. Just let it go and let the Lord provide strength. What was the other example I gave? Oh, fulfillment. Have the trust. Have the faith to just keep sowing seeds of the gospel. Just keep sowing and just keep watering. The Lord's promise that His Word won't come back void. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Sometimes it takes time for the seeds of the gospel to bear fruit. And we, and we, want, to just, we want it to bear fruit overnight. But sometimes it takes time, months, even years, for the gospel seeds to bear fruit. Just keep sowing. Just keep watering. The Lord will fulfill His Word. The first big lesson it teaches about faith is just to have the trust to do your duty, to trust and obey. The second lesson it teaches is the danger to faith. Notice what he said to them. It's so funny. He talks to the sea and the wind. He turns his attention to them. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The big danger to faith is fear. In the scriptures, faith and fear are mutually exclusive. And as your fear grows, your faith will wane and vice versa. So he rebukes them for their lack of faith because it was for their lack of faith that they thought they were going to perish. You know what I think is ironic? He's in the stern asleep on a pillow. In the middle of this great windstorm, this is the only place in the Gospels where we read of him being asleep. In the midst of this great storm, such was his peace of mind. Why? Because they were going to the other side and he knew they would get there. 
51 times in my New King James Version, it says, do not fear. There's no command in the Scriptures more repeated than that one. Don't fear. Because that's such a danger to your faith. Which leads me to the third lesson about faith, which is the desire of faith. And notice what it says. Then they feared exceedingly. That's the desire of faith. Now what's happened is, when they realize what he's done, out there in the middle of that late night, 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 when suddenly there was a great calm, their awe and reverence and admiration, I'll try to say that at home three times, whatever, I'm, whatever word I was trying to say, their awe and their reverence of him was so great that their eyes were now off the storm. That's what the desire of faith is. For your faith to grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To strengthen and grow in your faith to the point where you know, like John says, that perfect love casts out fear. And your awe and reverence of Him is so great that you can't see the storms in life. Because you just keep trusting and obeying. You're on a journey with Jesus. He's made promises. He is sufficient in His person. But don't forget the pattern. There will be storms. But don't forget the principle. Have your faith and confidence and don't lose it. Have that attitude that Paul had in the boat ride to Rome. I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. You know this. Man put these chapter and verse divisions in. And chapter 5, verse 1 goes with this passage. And it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. See, I told you. I told you. Where he said they were going, they were going to get there. And I can't prove this. But I can guarantee when they got out of the boat onto that shore, that they all turned around in unison like they were a band group. And they looked back out over that sea. And they went, wow. I didn't know he could do that. You stay with him. Your storms will come. But through faith, your storms will pass. And the day will come that you like him, or you like them, will look back over the sea that night. And you'll look back through the storms of your life. And you'll say, wow. I didn't know he could do that. Thank you very much. God bless.